Podcast. I'm Andrew McGregor. And with each installation in this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com slash podcasts. Or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes, catch it on Stitcher Radio or other services along those lines on your smartphones or wherever you like. So it occurred to me recently, after somebody pointed it out, that people listening to the podcast might not know, indeed, that I am available for readings. So if you uh, enjoy uh, the conversations that I've been having and you feel like uh, some of my insights or the cards insights would be beneficial to you, I am 100% available via Skype, via phone, or in person in Toronto. You can just jump over to the website at thehermitslamp.com and you will see a button that says book a reading. So if you are inclined, I would be happy to chat with you. And either way, I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the next installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I'm here this week with my friend, Monica Bederski, who is uh, a witch, uh, a magical human being, uh, an artist, a uh, diviner, and uh, all sorts of wonderful things. Um, but, you know, for people who might not know who you are, Monica, why don't you uh, give me a little little scoop on, on, give them a scoop on what's going on. Okay, well, thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here and to be uh, talking with you today. I think you did pretty good in that introduction there. I'm not sure how much I could add. Uh, I am an artist, um, also an educator, a uh, cardomancer, and that's how I spend most of my time, quite frankly. <laughs> it's a good way to spend your time, right? It is. It I mean, is. I know I personally am really enjoying uh, being at that intersection of art and magic and divination and spirituality you know it's a it's a fascinating place to be yeah absolutely uh the intersection of art and spirituality is something that i'm particularly interested in and uh i just find that fascinating mm -hmm. so tell me tell me how you came to uh read lenormand I think because um, I'm giving away my age here, but I grew up in the 70s, and there was a lot of divination, uh, Ouija board, uh, the whole scene was exploding with mysticism, and the first time I ran into any kind of oracle cards was in the 70s, so they were all new to me, and it's the first time I actually saw playing cards used as um, divination tools, as well as Lenormand, and a whole bunch of... Um, I'm sure you know the Gypsy Witch Oracle, which sure. being part Romany, I don't really like the word Gypsy <laughs> but that is also an Oracle deck that I'd run into um, uh, as, a, as a teenager. So that's the first time, and I'd left the cards for a while, uh, read tarot, I've read tarot for 40 years, um, and just recently started looking at some of the cards I looked at when I was younger and thought, you know, it's been a while. I'm going to reacquaint myself with uh, with these cards and, and look through them. It's kind of uh, different than a lot of people's experience, though. Like, I know I know that the tarot was around a lot, but a lot of people that I talk to basically just don't know, like, haven't known until sort of the more recent resurgence of the Lenormand 
and you know those other variations and stuff. Um, who were you hanging out with? Who was playing with these things? Was it all just like the hippies, or was it some you know, the, the post hippies? I guess. You know, I think post hippies had a lot to do with that. I did not grow up with anyone who was big into cards. All my friends really like mysticism and they like games. They like the Marx Brothers. They, they uh -huh. like the people distributing uh, Green Ghost and other games that had to do with uh, with ghosts and hauntings and spooky things. And I do remember going to the Bookmobile. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the Bookmobile. It was a mobile library that came to neighborhoods once a week. Mm -hmm. And um, you were allowed to take up to 10 books out. And being a bit of a book nerd, I certainly did. And um, I noticed a few patchouli-soaked books on witchcraft. You don't and... need to read the spine of the book. You just want <laughs> yeah. I can smell. Oh, smell of vision. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, on tarot cards and all this. And I just thought, oh, this is interesting. And um, I, I just took those books out and started to read. And... Um, the first deck I actually got, tarot deck, was from a friend. She was about 11. We were both 11. Uh, she didn't really like the deck. And I went to visit her around Christmas time, and we were exchanging gifts, and she just kind of tossed the pack at me. It was Rider Waite Smith deck. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't really want these. Would you like Would you like this deck? And I just said, sure. What, what is it? She goes, oh, it's just something like a Ouija board. I don't know. So I took the deck and um, I just started to read up on it and was just a voracious reader about it, but had no actual support from a community. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the way a lot of people kind of came up. That was my experience, right? I, I read a tremendous amount, tried a lot of things, learned the hard way sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, I'm, curious about, I'm curious about your experiences with Ouija boards. You know, for me, I, I got my hands on one somewhere as a teenager and basically just nothing happened. Like it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. There are, I can meditate and have better experiences than this or, you know, read the cards and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then sort of once I, I built up my skills where I think now perhaps I could have more, something more interesting happen. I just, I'm like, ah, but all my others, my, all my other options are just so much more accessible. What do I need that for? Um, but I'm curious, did you have any crazy experiences? Did, did a portal to the other universe open and a you know a little little small woman from a movie in the eighties ah. step through and be like, ah. <laughs> uh, you know, I did have interesting experiences with it. At first, I think it was just friends. Uh, we were using it. Things went yes, no. A few words spelled out. We laughed. We were convinced the other was pushing the planchette around. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a big deal. And then I thought, well, I wonder if I used it on my own. If anything would happen. And um, I, I felt the planchette moving, and I thought, well, it's probably just me pushing it around. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll just go with it and, you know, spell out a few things and ask a few questions. And then I got really creeped out because those things did occur. Mm. Um, and I wasn't, I, I just kind of thought, oh, that board is interesting. It just gives answers. I looked at it in kind of a tunnel vision sort of a way. I, I wasn't raised in a household that was religious. Mm -hmm. And so um, my parents actually gave me the Ouija board for Christmas, saying, ah, it's a toy that everyone's playing with. Go ahead. Yeah. So there wasn't this um, context of, you know, I'm going straight to uh, hell for using it or opening any you know portals at all. It was a very naive kind of thing. Those experiences though, I, they were very powerful and a lot of the information I received uh, was accurate. 
whether that was my own subconscious or me picking up on it, yeah. um, who knows? There was one incident where uh, I think there was an actual contact with uh, uh, somebody who had passed, according to friends um, who recognized this person later, and uh, they were quite angry about things. And I have to say that was a very unpleasant uh, experience. It, it did, whether it was just our collective uh, energies or the Ouija board or a combo, I tell people to exercise a little bit of caution if, if they're using one at times because um, you don't really know who's at the other end of that telephone, quite frankly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you it's, know? It's, uh, I liken it to, so we'll, we'll take you down to Times Square, we'll put a <laughs> blindfold on you, and uh, we'll say... You know, just shape your question to the crowd and see who's going to give you advice, right? That's right. You know, and maybe, and, and maybe, you know, a less sanitized and touristized Times Square than currently exists, you know? Right. And, yeah. and uh, people sometimes take these things so seriously. I mean, what, what if you're getting a total prankster on the other end there that says, you know, take this offering to here and do that? And you're going, like, you don't know who, what, where this is coming Walk from. Down street, Walk down the street, find a hot dog nude. Jump up and down 12 times yes, and the world will be yours. They'll give you your chili for free. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. so strange, eh? Yeah. Um, I think I think it's a, a really wonderful thing, though, to be raised without a lot of influence, you know? I, as, as someone who has a very strong personal religious practice, uh, I really try not to put too much of that on my kids. I let them come and go as they want because... My experience was the same. I was raised, um, you know, basically neutral or encouraged about whatever I was excited about, either or. And so there were all these things that kind of rolled through my life that, you know, shaped me. Or I was just like, that's a load of crap. And yeah. if I if I was involved in a tradition, I might have pushed harder against it, held on tighter to things. But instead, I was like, ah, oh, you know, Anton Lavey. I think you're a joker, man. I can't take you seriously. Sorry. I felt the same way yeah. when I looked at some of the theatrics going on from those patchouli-soaked books I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of, like, very severe theatrics, and I, just as a kid, you know, just chuckled about it. I couldn't take it seriously. Yeah. You know, I agree with you completely there. Mm -hmm. So, I'm curious about... Uh, I mean, I'm curious about a question that, that I'm always curious about which is, how does this stuff actually work, right? I mean, we've been, mm -hmm. we've been talking about, you know, our conversation has migrated into these areas where I'm like, yeah, well, Ouija board, there's a great example. Is it your subconscious? Is it a spirit? Is it this? Is it more of the people? The answer could be yes, right? Absolutely. And it's one of the things that is so, that I think that people really like about Lenormand and why it has really sort of reemerged because it has the, um, at least the appearance of being like, it's not mystical per se. It's not uh, full of philosophy and, you know, uh, you don't need patchouli to activate it. The cards mean a thing. The card in a place means a thing. You say that thing, that is the reading, you know? Yeah. But I'm curious, even at that, how does that work? What, what do you think goes on? Well, you've raised a lot of uh, great points, and the Ouija board is an example, and I, I tend to see a lot of things in mysticism that way. There is a layer of stuff that we may never understand, 
that just goes into the it's out there pile. I know it exists. I, I feel it. But there's also our subconscious. There's our own personal experiences we're bringing to things. Symbols, especially in Lenormand, are very archetypal. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about a heart, we know we're just raised in a society that understands that's going to mean love or compassion or uh, having a good heart. Um, so the cards tend to be kind of blunt and they build sentences. Uh, everyone can read them. And I think uh, psychologically, yes, uh, that's, that's got a factor into it, how you see things. Um, whether there's spirit guides, some people have told me when using the cards, they feel very much that their spirit present when they're using them. So they're projecting their own belief system into the cards. Mm -hmm. Other people are really happy because, as you say, there isn't this kind of um, necessarily an extra layer. Uh, it's not as inaccessible in some ways uh, because of the esoteric nature. You don't have to study for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, even though I find some people aren't sure how to use them, uh, especially with playing card equivalents. Yeah. But um, it's a factor, uh, subconscious, your experiences, your personal beliefs. I think Lenormand is much more open to um, kind of uh, bizarrely secular spirituality, Right. if you have it. It seems to attract that type of person who wants to use the card, mm -hmm. I've noticed. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting with sort of... Uh, you know, divergence of tarot into psychology and, you know, since the 60s or so, divergence of tarot into the esoteric from like 150 years ago-ish, you know, I mean, wherever you want to peg that. Um, and so so there's a sort of long, long sort of arc away from reading the cards like we read Lenormand. And then... All of a sudden, you know, at least it feels all of a sudden, uh, in, in the Western world and in the tarot community, this sort of reemergence of Lenormand as like, oh yeah, well we can just do these things, um, which are probably quite like what card readers 200 years ago were doing, and certainly what like a lot of Marseille style readers do, and you know, so it, it's fascinating that these ideas, there's a need, right? People want this stuff. There is a need, and you know, I think that need existed because, you know, Lenormand cards were originally a, a playing card invented by a German fellow named Johannes Hechtel. He was a businessman from Nuremberg, and it was called Das Spiel der Hoffnung, which is the game of hope. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the cards would be laid out, and you would move your pieces accordingly um, uh, as the die were rolled. And you either move forward or back if the cards were good or bad. And... Um, very quickly those were taken as a divinatory tool. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think people realized even back then, this would have been the late 1700s, early 1800s, um, and uh, apparently Mademoiselle Lenormand realized this as well and took those cards amongst many other styles of cards that she was using at the time uh, to read in uh, Napoleon's court. And I think people realized even then that uh, there's this instant connection to symbolism mm -hmm. and it's, it's quicker, it's faster. It just seems like, yeah, I can use that. That's a letter. I know there's a letter coming. Uh, it, just, it just attracts that sort of thing. And I think the resurgence is uh, coming back to that, that kind of feeling that you don't have to necessarily study. You can take whatever tools are readily available if it's a deck of playing cards or uh, if you want to throw sticks. And I think there's a resurgence of this kind of accessibility for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that all of those, I mean, 
Don't get me wrong. I love the esoteric stuff, right? You know, I could sit around, sit around and talk about that stuff all day long. But, uh, but I see it, you know, and I see that, you know, when people come wanting to learn cards for me or whatever, you know, they want to just like do it. They just want to be able to like do a thing. And, and I think that, you know, the way in which I learned to read cards was I, you know, I've talked about it many times on this podcast, I had a tough deck, I read Crowley's book over and over and over and over again. It's not the easy way. There are easier ways to learn to read cards than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, each approach has its own thing, but I think that, you know, learning simply and really, you know, being able to just be like, okay, this is this, great. If it needs to be more complicated, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. And certainly when you look at cards, if you see a key and a heart, um, there's this knowing that bypasses your, your conscious oh. mind. Um, I've watched people use the cards and they just have this, ah, oh, I see. As opposed to when I'm giving tarot readings, there's a lot of, what does that mean? I don't get that. I don't, you know, and I use a lot of different decks in tarot readings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are fairly simple as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But still, there's that bit of a barrier. But doing Lenormand readings, people just seem to get things very mm-hmm. quickly. And it hits their intuition. What, um, what are you loving right now in terms of tarot? What's... What, what, what are the decks you're working with these days? Wow. Um, I use so many decks. <laughs> I really like to use um, my very old beat-up Morgan Greer deck. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just enjoy it. Um, I still use um, a very old 70s Rider Waite Smith, and I do use Smith in there because Pamela Coleman Smith was the artist who seldom gets recognized. Mm-hmm. So I use that deck a lot. I do use a Marseille deck. Um, and I do like contemporary pagan decks. I have a few of those. Um, my goodness, I, the list just goes on and on. Um, I don't know if you know a deck by Norbert Lush. Uh, it's it's quite nice, and the name, of course, totally escapes me at the moment. But he made this deck in the 80s, I believe, and it's also one of my faves. It's a very clean, very simple artwork. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. I'm always curious because uh, I'm a one deck person, right? I have one deck lives there. The uh, the the one deck that it was for like the five years got replaced when a photo reproduction became available of the deck that I was already using uh, a redrawing version of. So really, it's the same deck. It's just you it's know a newer version. It's, the, it's it's a newer version of an older version, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, and uh, you never really know. But when when I got to that one. I was like, oh, I think I'm done now. I think that this is all I need. And, you know, I got a big box of them in, and I took three and put them on the shelf so that when they wear it, I can just be like, eh, same deck. Boom. Yeah, and I actually know more people in the reading community like you mm-hmm. than me that way. They've Perhaps because of the way they've learned to read, it's very tied into that particular deck. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was learning, it was through symbolism. So I wanted to learn what swords meant symbolically and studied it very symbolically. Yeah. So I find that uh, that is, you know, comfortable for me to go from deck to deck. It's interesting because I don't know very many people like me in terms of like we got to swap. Uh, we, we, exactly. Here. We got. You know what we need to do? We need to have like a big. Uh, oh my! Yeah. Big big tarot tea salon and hang out and chat with the people that we That's we right. know. It would be very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because a lot of the people that I know, 
run a store, right? So the new people that I meet are people often coming looking for more decks, right? Right. Um, sometimes a first deck, but often more decks. And um, a lot of the people that I know in the tarot community um, are people who you know, who own a lot of decks and who, who acquire new things on a fairly regular basis. Right. Which, which is always fascinating to me because I'm like, huh. Uh-huh, you know? But you're also now getting into collectors. So I do know readers who are collectors, and they mm-hmm. do have tons of decks, but they only use one deck for reading. Yeah. They just like to collect all the artwork and have a collection of them and then swap and then True. do that yep. thing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me about your creative process. Like, what I'm curious about when people make decks um, as somebody who, who makes decks, um, is this sort of creative, this creative process, this creative impulse? Are they conceived? Are they received? Are they, you know, does the card whisper in your ear? Do you, you know, what? How do how do they? How does it how does it come from wherever it is to wherever you know into being? Hmm, yeah, it is a very complex process for me. Um, I've been an artist for quite a while. But I hadn't really thought of making a deck necessarily, but it just seemed like a natural because I like to make multiples in my art practice. So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, if you're going to make multiples, maybe we could try this. And it's just like writers. When uh, you talk about you start with a framework and then it kind of informs you. So I found that all the way through the process. Um, I had a couple of false starts of what I thought would look good Mm. and it just didn't feel right and it just wasn't happening Uh, and you know that was a very incomplete type of an approach so then I thought well I'll do this like all of my practice I'll set up a ritual space Um, I'll be very calm in this I'll allow what happens to happen and suspend judgment which is a difficult thing when you're an artist it's It's the artist right it's a spiritual person that's that's a natural thing but sometimes combining your rational left-brained editing mind that says, no, that's not good enough with your spiritual practice can be tricky. Uh, So I just put myself in the ritual space and then said, doesn't matter. Whatever happens, happens. And of course, as they say, uh, after you get out of your own way, things start to flow. And um, I did make sure through the process that I painted all the backgrounds first. I did all the collage work second so that they would look cohesive. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, if you're me your voice can change day to day. And if I made a card every few weeks, it would be like a deck with 36 different artists. It might appear that way. Sure. Uh, Cohesion is kind of a tricky thing. But that's, you know, it came to me perhaps inspiration from those other sources, Um, your own subconscious being calm and and just letting it it occur was actually incredibly productive. You know what they say about control. If you let go of it completely, you're actually gaining control. I don't believe them. Jerks. <laughs> I see we're touching on control issues. Uh, no. Well, sometimes maybe. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's such a thing, right? I, I always get this feeling like that piece is done. And I look at it and I'm just like, I don't know. Is it, is it any good? Is it like, I don't even know what it is anymore. I hit this point where like I'm, I know that I need to put down the pen and stop. Right. And yet I, I'm like, is it done? Is it good? Does it make any? Sense? I'm like, I don't even know. And then I just like 
drop it, put it away, and then come back to it later. And generally, not always, but generally I'm like, huh, that is pretty good. All right, fair enough. Well, there you go. And, and um, you know, I, I also teach sessionally at OCAD University, and I yeah. have classes and critiques. And this is a discussion I just had yesterday was come back to it with fresh eyes. Suspend your judgment. We are highly critical. We've been trained to be critical of our own art voices. Yeah. And the idea is to step away, and it's not good or bad. It's, is that what you want to communicate? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at it and you're communicating what you wanted to say, it is perfect and done. If it's not saying what you want, it isn't a matter of anything else as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, you can talk about design, color, the palette, everything else. But I'd say suspend judgment there. If it's really saying what you want to say, you've got a successful piece of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because when I was in art school, especially when I the the group that I went through, it was horrible. It was like getting in a fist fight every critique, right? Like it was just so confrontational. And um, and then I got out of that and got into the design world and doing design work, and. It wasn't confrontational, although it was sometimes tense. It was a lot more of just, um, you know, you could, there was, did it hit the mark that it needed to hit? And and then there was, and have you allayed the fears or concerns of the person who you're selling it to, that it, that it actually does those things? And, you know, it's sort of, it's interesting how, how we sort of look at stuff and think about these, this as like, well, it's, it's good or it's not but it's really not true and there's really not a lot of grounds for that you know no and it's hard though it's hard I, I, I'd love to say that making this deck um, I didn't think wow I'm going to be judged uh, because I teach art and design uh, I am giving readings like I'm putting myself out there those those concerns always they're always going to come up because you know we do Care very passionately, I think, as artists, what we make, and we don't really want it stomped on. Yeah. But you have to get out of your own space for fear of uh, judgment, to including yourself, and just let it go. and And you're correct; a lot of critique can be uh, very difficult. Uh, you should come to my class. My critiques are really good. Yeah. <laughs> They're more about supporting. We all know what areas of our own drawings and work don't really work. Mm-hmm. I think as a group in, in critiquing, if we just share what's working and ask people about other areas, um, I think it's pretty apparent there's no need to, to slam anybody, you know? It's, it's a highly competitive world, though, yeah. the art and design world. So it can, that brings up a whole other level of, mm-hmm. you know, a potential block if you're not really in the right space and yeah. let it go. Totally. And it's also, it also mirrors the reading process. You know, uh, I remember there's a, a point in my, my reading career where periodically people would be like, oh, you're not right about that. It's not true or whatever. Okay. And, and so I was like really tracking when I got those complaints and what was going on and so on. And, you know, in, in the same way that like, you know, how do you judge when the moments to put the pen down? kind of the same thing with the readings and most of the mistakes that I would make at that time were mistakes of embellishing too far. The message was something simpler and for whatever reason, I kept yakking, you know? 
I think we've all been there. Yeah. And doesn't that mirror um, the very nature of tarot too? It's esoteric. We've learned so much about it. There's so many layers, so many layers. And uh, sometimes we just keep talking about those. And in effect, reading Lenormand has gotten me a little out of that too, because uh -huh. it's a very direct deck. Yeah. And the answer is right there. Uh, it's it sort of keeps me from going down that path because most people don't really want to hear um, all of the things surrounding. If they do, they'll ask, but otherwise, they really do appreciate a very direct answer. Uh, and are they coming back? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Next question. Nothing. No. All right. See you later. Done. Keep your money on the table. That's right. That's right. The scythe comes up. Will it end? Oh, uh, yes. I think so. <laughs> Isn't it already over? Isn't this yeah. just the corpse in the room? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The other thing about reading um, Lenormand I just wanted to mention is because uh, Le Grand Tableau is a 36, all cards are spread out at once. What I really enjoy, um, I think maybe it's the spatial way of reading for me, yeah. is that you get to see read by proximity. So whoever is being represented by the seeker card. Um, I find it gives me a really good overview all at once. Normally, I, in tarot readings, I'll turn over uh, three cards at a time. Um, I know other people use the Celtic cross and other uh, methods, but I, I just find doing the whole thing, it just gives me the complete picture at mm -hmm. once. And um, I can do an entire reading from that about career, finances, relationships, uh, health, just from one spread, and mm -hmm. it just, uh, I encourage people to take a photo of that spread, and they refer to it, and they seem to, uh, they seem to really react well to that. Yeah, when I was, when I was working on learning Lenormand, I, um, you know, I, I would do the Grand Tableau sort of once a month, and I would try and go back and revisit it, and look at it, and think about it, and see what had come up, and, and that kind of stuff. It's definitely... Mm -hmm. If you have the space, right? You know, it'd be great to have a little uh, little clips on your wall and just be able to clip it up somewhere and look at it. You know, yeah. but uh, I don't have that kind of space. I'm sure you don't either. <laughs> no. Yeah. Virtual space is where we're Virtual going. Virtual space, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um. Yeah. So I'm also curious about your art because I know you just ran a retreat, mm -hmm. and I'm curious about where the art and spirituality intersects at that level for you as well. Uh, very much that retreat that you just mentioned was at Artscape, and it was called Awakening. And regardless of your arts-based practice, whether it's performative or visual, it was within the framework of the four elements and how we connect with our environment um, I, I do follow an earth-based spirituality, and I think people who feel disconnected from their environment um, feel that same disconnect in their arts practice. I think they're inextricable. They're just so closely intertwined that looking at your disconnect from um, your environment is going to naturally help you reconnect with, with your art space. And I think for the most part, participants really found it quite powerful I think some people hadn't realized the extent of how much they felt perhaps alienated or removed from their environment. And because it's such a beautiful location out on Toronto Island, I know you've been out there, mm -hmm. uh, it's such a great safe space to reconnect and have a very personal relationship with uh, water, earth, and air, and fire. 
so people looked at their arts-based practices very differently and went, oh, you know, it's a very personal connection. And to me, that is uh, spirituality. Sometimes we get so bombarded by expectations in society, we lose ourselves in there. Mm-hmm. So it's about finding your own voice again. Yeah. yeah. Did you know um, Victor Tinkle? Yes. I, uh, I took one of his classes. I was when taught I was... by Judith Tinkle. Uh-huh. There you go. Um, yeah, when I, when I was at OCAD, I, I took a class with him in second year or something like that. And it was fantastic for that exact reason, you know, because he was this madman, right? Of just like, you know, like com- being confrontational but supportive and just being like, oh, sure, whatever you want, right? And I remember being in the garage where we had class, you know, this like open, it was, it was like exploring process or something like that, you know, like some blah, blah title. So basically come and do whatever you want, right? And And I remember saying to him, I think it'd be really awesome to like paint cave paintings in the window well of the garage. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be kind of cool. And then I come back next week, and there are all these two by fours there. He goes, all right, let's build a scaffolding, you know, and that, that just yes, let's do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that knowing you and, and you know, I, I can I see that that's how you are, and I, I think that that way of just like, yeah, let's let's do that, let's try this, let's you know. And I think mm-hmm. that with with card reading for me, it's also that way, you know. I had the pleasure of not really learning with other people that much, which meant wherever I was excited, I got to go, as opposed to this, like, eh, you know, whatever, you know. And mm-hmm. and I think that it's that it's that balance of like control and structure, right? You know, if you're gonna do a grand tableau, then read Lenormand, right? And yeah. If you're gonna do something else with them, well, try it and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Set them up like a Ouija board. Put their planchette on them. See <laughs> Absolutely. Side, 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 coffin. All right, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you're you're talking again about structure and an organic process, and I think it's the balance of the two, and um, noticing when the structure becomes oppressive, and noticing when organic means you've floated off into uh, you know the atmosphere <laughs> without being grounded. You mm-hmm. you have to balance the two. And I also was a graphic designer for many years, yeah. as well as a fine artist. And it's the same discussion. It's uh, living with those two things and uh, saying, well, go ahead and explore. Try it. Uh, yes, you're within the framework of a classroom. Uh, and there are certain expectations. But, uh, you know, Victor obviously was allowing that. Go ahead, explore within mm-hmm. this space. Yeah. You know? And I think that's a lot of the dialogue. I, I met him. I was in the um, the where they shell where they where they sold the like metal, right? Like they had extra, they had like a whole stockroom full of metal for doing whatever you wanted to do with. And I was buying this piece of sheet metal, and uh, he walked up to me. I'd never spoken to him. He goes, oh, "I see you have a lovely thunder machine," and I'm like, "What, dude? Like, I don't. What are you talking about, right?" <laughs> and so he picks it up by the end and wobbles it back and forth, right? So it makes that big oh, oh, oh right. thunder machine. Take class with this person. Sold. <laughs> the only marketing yeah. required, you know? Exactly. It is a way of seeing. It's a way of being. And once you change your perspective on things, which is what happened out at the island, people came back to their practices going, why did I, why was I looking at it that way when there's all these other angles of vision? Yeah. So for sure. And so when you're helping people shift their, their, their angles, mm-hmm. um, 
are you doing ceremony with them? Are you meditation? Are you like smacking with rubber mallet? Like, oh, I see you were there, just <laughs> hiding somewhere. <laughs> uh, well, all of the above. Um, I think in a very, very easygoing space. Like for instance, the earth element. We we did a grounding exercise because yeah. the earth element is about feeling safe and secure and rooted. Yeah. Uh, so we did, uh, you know, uh, an exploration of being rooted as trees and grounding and, and security. Uh, so we would do that kind of group exercise and people would go off and explore on their own. Then in the evening, we uh, talk about it. So you would start with a discussion. Mm-hmm. Then people get to apply. And then you reflect on that later. Mm-hmm. And the process of talking to people about things, introducing topics and letting them go and explore and uh, do their own application of theory and then coming back and reflecting on how that worked or didn't work is the process that they're learning to apply to their arts practice. Yeah. Uh, so it's just mirroring that. It's uh, an integration of everything. There shouldn't be a compartmentalization in our lives. Uh, there should be absolutely no difference between the way we approach spirituality, in my mind, as art, as living, as anything. So sure. uh, it, the process kind of takes over from there, mm-hmm. and people start to approach everything that way. The idea-based rubber mallet. Hey, did you know that something can be everything? Wow. Did yeah. you know that everything can't be anything? It can only be the thing it is? What? And, you know, yeah, back and forth, sure. and, you know, off you go, right? For sure. Yeah. It is very much a reflective process, but also applying what you've learned. Yes. Okay, so take this exercise and actually try it. And tell me how it worked for you or didn't work for you. You get to learn a great deal about yourself and yeah. structure and how much structure you want or dislike. Yeah. yeah, and then show me the thing that came from it, right? Yeah. Painting, the drawing, your song, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. A lot of philosophy involved, yes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot totally. of psychology. Yeah. That's part of the spirituality. What? Yeah, and I think that that's the great... Um, error of you know the last stretch of history it's the separation of those things right Absolutely. what's the difference between magic and religion and spirituality and philosophy and psychology should be nothing the answer is there they're all just they're, they're all either just different languages or they're all just different parts of the pie that make up the whole of us and Absolutely. Probably, probably both of those are true at the same time you know in a contradictory they are. way so. they are and yet Throughout history, you know, socio-political and geopolitical discussions have taken that to uh, conformity is sane and non-conformity is madness. Mm-hmm. And there you have it. And wherever uh, spirituality at the time falls or whatever is accepted at the moment, um, it falls into those two binaries. And right. I think we're very fortunate to be in a contemporary space now where we can explore anything within there without necessarily being called mad. Mm-hmm. Well, and we have better parties. So, you know, you <laughs> totally should definitely parties. come and join us. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, for everybody listening, uh, Monica has a deck out called the Lucky Lenormand, which uh, I'm going to have in the store. And Monica, also, if you happen to be in Toronto uh, next weekend on the 17th, we'll be doing a talk on Lenormand and using the deck and stuff like that and hanging out and meeting people uh, starting at 11 a.m. So please come on by. And if you are further afield, um, 
where, where are you hanging out online these days, Blanca? What's the best place for people to come and connect with you? Well, you can certainly connect with me on Facebook. Uh, just get the spelling of the last name right. It is M. Bodirsky, B-O-D-I-R-S-K-Y. And my website is uh, monicabodirsky.com. And um, yeah, I'm fairly easy to get hold of. Just, just Google and you will find me. Awesome. Thanks for dropping in today. Thank you very and, much, uh, Andrew. Yeah. It was great to chat with you. Always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you really enjoy it. And if there's anybody you'd like to see on here, um, or if there are conversations and topics you'd love to hear discussed on the podcast, send me a reply. Get in touch. Facebook, website, wherever. I'd love to hear from you. I really enjoy engaging with the people who are listening to the podcast. So don't be shy. Jump in. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.